Hi everyone, welcome back to Staying Connected. This is Katie, your host, and today we're talking with Erica, who has VEDS, just like myself, and I'm really excited to talk with her about her story, so welcome, Erica. Thank you so much, Katie. I appreciate it. So tell me, I know we were talking a little bit before this, and I know you had a lot of signs before your diagnosis with VEDS, and I think I want to start with um, a pretty significant event that you had when you were about 20 years old? That's right, right. This is all um, pre-diagnosis. You know, I had some minor signs when I was a child, like many VEDS people. I had very easy bruising, visible veins on my chest, uh, never had tons of energy. You know, I couldn't go, 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 but by all accounts, I was healthy. Uh, and then when I was in tw- when I was 20 and in college, uh, I had a stomach ache in the spring semester of my sophomore year. And I had a roommate take me to the hospital, the local hospital, and it was misdiagnosed as a ruptured ovarian cyst. So I was sent home with some painkillers, and I was in a lot of pain. I was very sick over the next two days. My mom came up to get me uh, from college and was taking me to her gynecologist back home when, and this was like two and a half hours away, when we got there they took my blood pressure and it was so low they said get me an ambulance now. My body was shutting down, My it went septic, my organs were shutting down, and I had had a ruptured colon. So when I got to the hospital, well, I passed out in the ambulance, and I don't remember anything for the next 24 hours. But when they got me to the hospital and opened me up, the surgeon said it looked like a bomb went off inside. And they told my parents I had about 50% chance of making it that night. So they didn't suspect VEDS at that time? No, no, it never came up. You know, the first few weeks were just really survival. They, my intestines had a hard time reattaching, which is typical for VEDS people. You know, our tissues are weak and fragile. They thought it might have been a chicken bone. They thought they tested me over and over for Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a connective tissue disorder never came up. And I was in and out of the hospital for six months that time. Um, I missed college. I was on IV feeding. My intestines wouldn't reattach, uh, so I couldn't take any food by mouth. And I eventually got transferred to a bigger hospital because the first, well, the first hospital misdiagnosed me. The second hospital saved my life, but they couldn't get me well. And the third hospital finally got me well and was able to reattach my intestines. But that was a six-month process, setbacks, emergency room visits, home health care. It was an ordeal. And then after that, I was fine. (laughs) So what did that feel like? You said it was like a stomach ache? Yeah, it felt like a really bad stomach ache. I had woken up from a nap. It was midterm week. It was a busy week. And... You know, it just progressively got worse to where, you know, 
my roommate thought, okay, let's take her to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And the first hospital just did an x-ray, which as beds patients, we know that we need better imaging to see what's going on inside of us, whether it's MRIs or CT scans. Mm-hmm. And so they just missed it. At, at what point did they um, suspect beds? So I was fine for 13 years. I graduated college. I got married. We moved here to North Carolina from the Midwest. I was fine by all accounts for 13 years. And then uh, I got pregnant with my son. We had a, a really hard time getting pregnant. We had to do fertility treatments because of the massive amount of scar tissue in my abdomen Mm. from those previous surgeries. And so we just thought, okay, you know, I'm going to have this baby. My OBGYN sent me to a bigger hospital, a a specialist, because of all of my scar tissue. He's like, you know, just in case. And at that point, I had no diagnosis, no indication anything was wrong. He's like, just in case, I'm going to send you here, which ended up being life-saving. He sent me to a big university hospital. And so we had to induce. I was, you know, full term. We had to induce my son because my blood pressure was getting high. We were praying against a C-section because we thought, oh, with all that scar tissue, that's going to be a disaster. Mm -hmm. And during my labor, the induction in my labor, my son's heart rate dropped, like down to 50. So they had to do a C-section. You know, at that point, we still didn't know anything was wrong. And the C-section actually ended up saving his life and mine. When they opened me up, my husband heard them say, where is her uterus? (laughs) Uh, Because so much scar tissue was adhered in there. And my bowel was dying. My intestines were dying. Oh, my gosh. And my uterus had ruptured at some point. I don't know if it's when they opened me up or it had ruptured, so that's why his heart rate dropped. You know, thankfully, I didn't hear any of that. I got to hear him be born. I got to kiss his little head. And then they ushered my husband out because they're like, she needs more surgery. Mm -hmm. And... uh, Again, I woke up 20 hours later in the ICU. I bled out. They had to do a bowel resection and remove several feet of my intestines. They had to replace my blood three times over. So they were doing surgery into the night. And, you know, my husband's there with a newborn (laughs) in the hospital like what just happened, you know? And we knew that my health history was tricky, but we had no idea mm-hmm. what was happening. So during the night, three or four in the morning, they went to my husband and they said, she's stable, she's stable, but your wife is a very sick woman. How did he react it, to that? Um, <laughs> Grateful and overwhelmed. We had some family friends that were at the hospital with him because I told them, I said, I just, I don't want him to be alone in case something happens. Mm -hmm. I just, 
I don't know, I just had that feeling. And so I'm, I'm so grateful to those friends who are like family to us because um, our families are a thousand miles away. And it was just so much to process. And we still weren't out of the woods. Like uh, I was intubated still for several days, so I couldn't talk. I had to write to communicate. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, I met my son when he was like 22 hours old, I got to hold him for the first time. I was covered in tubes and oh. wires. You know, our first pictures of the family of three were are pretty uh, telling and kind of haunting, really. Mm -hmm. So what else happened after that sure. that led them to the so, VEDS diagnosis? About a week after I had my son, uh, I think I was still in ICU at this point, and I had had a bulge on my neck a few weeks before delivery. Mm -hmm. We just thought it was a swollen lymph node, honestly, like it was fighting some infection or something. Nobody was concerned about it. And then my husband asked about it when I was in ICU. He's like, what about the spot on her neck? Mm -hmm. And the doctors looked at each other, and so they took me down for scans, and they discovered uh, five aneurysms in my body. And one of them was in my right carotid artery leading to my brain on my neck. You know, all of that blood pulsing through my body during pregnancy and then those blood transfusions, you know, just our weakened arteries with feds, my body just did not respond well. And so they so, didn't think those were there before your pregnancy. They thought that was from the pregnancy itself? Possibly. I mean, we have no idea, no way of knowing, but, you know, just the factor of, of so much more blood. I think I actually listened to a webinar last night. Pregnant women have like 35% more blood mm -hmm. in their body during pregnancy. So um, it was at that point our doctors were like, we have got to connect the dots. Like what is going on? Mm -hmm. A geneticist from the hospital came in. He took one look at me, looked at me physically, looked at my health history. And he's like, she's got a connective tissue disorder and so they sent off blood work to a lab to test for vascular EDS and it was confirmed within days or weeks I think because we were in such an emergency situation mm -hmm. um, and honestly we didn't have really time to process like it it was good to have that diagnosis and how it would affect everything else going on in my body. You know, my intestines are still detached at this point. I have five known aneurysms. You know, it was good to know, but like we couldn't grieve over it. We couldn't deal with it because we were in survival mode. Mm -hmm. You know, our doctors did ask my husband, they said, you need to ask your wife about a do not resuscitate order if mm -hmm. something happens. She, you know, and I, I'm 33 years old at this point. Mm -hmm. We have a brand new baby that we had longed for and prayed for, you know, and it's like, wow. And, you know, my husband remembers a team of doctors coming through after I was diagnosed, residents and students. It was a teaching hospital say, you know, look, look at this. You're probably never going to see this again in your career. That must be really... <laughs> frightening to hear during 
like while you're already in the hospital <laughs> like <laughs> that just um that sounds like it was a very scary time like how did you get through that it was really scary uh you know, kind of when you're in a vascular EDS flare almost, it's like living from one emergency to the next. Scans one day and managing blood pressure and anxiety. Um, we had a lot of help was one way we managed. We had a lot of love surrounding us. You know, I'm a, we're people of faith, and so we had a lot of prayer personally and a lot of prayer surrounding us. And so... And it was just daily asking for the strength to get through that day, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, having that little baby, that newborn baby, uh, read us his name, gave us hope and something to fight for and live for, you know. I thought he, he needs his mom. And I, I think that's why the doctors fought so hard for us. Uh, you know, at the university hospital I was at, they didn't know what to do with me. They had saved my life, but they didn't know how to treat this aneurysm in my neck. Uh, it was growing mm-hmm. exponentially. I think they Googled my condition, oh. and they found Dr. Black, a vascular surgeon at Johns Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when we first heard his name and got in contact with him. So did he fix that aneurysm? So we had contacted him in January. Everything happened in November. In -hmm. January, we contacted him, and he's like, you know, let's kind of wait till your intestines heal. And another doctor, actually my OBGYN, said, does he know how big that's gotten? So my husband is a pretty persistent advocate (laughs) and thorough, and he's... He's very detailed, which has served us very well <laughs> in this. He emailed Dr. Black back, and, and I will say Dr. Black is very responsive, which is a blessing. And he said, you know, this is the rate it was, or this is how big the aneurysm was. Here's what it is now. And Dr. Black said, let me get her in in February then. So we went up there, and we had hope. You know, it's like, oh, he's treated other patients with this. Mm-hmm. He he's an expert in this you know we were excited and hopeful and not that fearful right then of the imminent danger so in february when our son was three months old we went up there and got my neck rescanned and dr black the first time we met him he came in and said we have to admit you right now oh my gosh and we're we're like what <laughs> what <laughs> and i'm like i I have a three-month-old, and he didn't even know what he was going to do yet, Dr. Black, because there's no way he could cut into that aneurysm because it could cause a stroke or Mm -hmm. death or bleeding. So he said, okay, go home and make a plan. We're five hours away from that hospital. So go home and make a plan and come back, and we'll, we'll decide. I'll get a team together. Mm-hmm. And so we went home for two days. We met with people and prayed and cried. We did our will and our health care power of attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm 33 years old at this point. And we took an entourage back to the hospital. Friends of the family, family members, 
they brought our son to a nearby hotel so I could see him as much as I could. And Dr. Black worked with the interventional neuroradiology team to coil the aneurysm. So at this point, it's a golf ball size visible bulge on my neck. You can see it. It hurts to turn my head. It hurts to hold up my head. And I'm still dealing, my intestines are still unattached. I'm still on IV feeding every day. So, I mean, I'm just a, I'm a mess. I'm a disaster. <laughs> uh, and so they feed up 46 platinum coils one at a time through my femoral artery to clot off that aneurysm. And it worked. It plotted off the blood flow to that, but kept blood flow to my brain. Wow. You know, we did checkups at like six weeks out, three months, six months, a year. And now I go every year for scans at uh, Johns Hopkins. So how long ago was that? That was uh, eight and a half years ago. And so you've been living yeah. with this, the coil in your neck and your intestines the way that they are for eight and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And my... Um, my intestines got reattached uh, after nine months. So I was on IV feeding for nine months and mm -hmm. I, I lost the baby weight, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, but uh, just as I was getting ready to go off at it, like six months, another fistula opened up actually through my stomach wall and my skin mm. and started leaking again. And so that actually healed on its own, but I had to be on strict uh, TPN or IV feeding again. So, so there's been two times in my life then when I have been on IV feeding. One was when I was 20 for like six months, and then once when I was 33 for nine months. Wow. So did your yeah. so your son is about eight and a half now? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So have you guys tested him for vets? We have not. We will probably do it around age 10, you know, before he's in contact sports. You know, we don't know. It's a 50% chance and we're prayerful mm -hmm. and hopeful. And if anything were to come up between now and then, of course, we treat it like an emergency and mm -hmm. a possibility. And then I don't know if I'm a um, spontaneous mutation uh, of it. Both of my parents were gone by the time I got diagnosed. Hmm. My dad had passed away in a car accident when I was a little girl, and then my mom died when she was 57. Um, and it was kind of unexpectedly, but she didn't have any other signs of VEDS, so yeah. we, on we honestly don't know. So what was life like when you were a kid? I know you said you had some of the physical right. features. Like, What was that like for you growing up? Fine. I had a good active childhood. You know, I was never super athletic, so that wasn't a problem. You know, I do remember things that I've, I've talked to friends about that I thought everybody dealt with. I actually have a couple friends in real life who have vascular EDS and one has hypermobile EDS. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I remember clothes hurting my skin. Um, and I just thought that was everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I realized it was because my tissues are fragile and it, it just hurt. And, you know, that still happens today. So, you know, as a child, easy bruising. I did have childhood migraines, but I grew out of them. 
So yeah, no fears or worries until I was 20. It's funny that you mentioned the clothes, you know, like I usually end up getting like cuts and stuff when I go and try on clothes at the store. Mm, But mm. it was something like when you said that, it reminded me of when I have a pair of jeans that just like I need them to fit just right because the band on them, like the waist will sometimes cut into my skin. And I never thought about that until you said it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or even like clothes aren't tight, but the seams will just hurt, and I yeah. need to change into something else where the seams are are different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I'm just trying to to put myself in your shoes of what the last eight and a half years really felt like, because at the beginning, you know, it was so like you said, you're in it in the moment. The right. diagnosis is kind of like. It's something that's going to help you live. Right. How did that feel after the the initial emergency finally passed? Right. Well, after my son was about one year old, we were kind of back to living normally again. And that's when the grief hit, just grieving what this diagnosis meant. You know, I couldn't read a lot about it at first. I just, I needed to just bathe it in prayer and live life as a normal family for a while. It took me a while to get on to some of the support groups and read about it because I just had lived it mm-hmm. <laughs> so dramatically. Um, but now I'm so thankful for those groups, just the sharing of information. And it's kind of amazing because the VEDS community is some of the most hopeful and resilient people I know, you know, of course there's times of grief and anxiety and fear, but I think we realize life is short and mm-hmm. fragile, and so we're going to live the, di- the days that we have, the good days we have, with gratitude. So since that eight and a half years ago, I have had two more aneurysm surgeries mm-hmm three years ago, because of my regular scans and checkups, we were tracking the other aneurysms I had, and uh, it had grown during that time period, so there was one in my left chest area that was a mammary artery that was redundant, so they actually coiled and glued it off, Mm -hmm. and then there was one in my wrist. And in between that, there have been several ER visits for new or strange pains. I joke that I have to be a hypochondriac um, (laughs) because (laughs) I I have to be aware of what's going on in my body. You know, Mm -hmm. that first colon rupture started out as a stomach ache. So I make my husband aware of any little signs I have. Uh, just so he can know in case something happens. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's it's nothing. Sometimes it's a muscle pain, you know, but how do we know unless we get a scan? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, That's definitely a tough spot to be in when that happens. I've heard that from a lot of people, and I experienced that myself too. It's like you have a new pain. It sticks around for a couple hours, and right, right. and you're just like, well... I guess I should get this checked out, but I really don't want to go to the ER again. Yep. And then, you know, most local ERs here, even though we're in a a city, 
aren't familiar with this. So I have a four-page health history that I carry in my purse mm -hmm. everywhere I go. Um, when I meet a new doctor, I send that to them in advance, and they're so grateful. <laughs> they're like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> thank you. But, yeah, in emergency situations, thankfully, we have been met with a lot of understanding and care. Mm -hmm. I know that's not always the case because sometimes uh, medical centers will get this confused with other types and not realize the immediacy of, of life-threatening complications. Mm -hmm. um, but thankfully, in my journey so far, I've been met with, you know, pretty serious uh, understanding. And part of that probably is having my husband there, my advocate. He, he is with me every time we go. He stays the night in my hospital room with me. Um, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, it's just been, <laughs> I love waking up and seeing him there, knowing that he's advocating for me. That's amazing. That's very yeah. sweet. Is there anything that you would tell somebody who's newly diagnosed or anything that you want the listeners to know? I'd say if you're newly diagnosed, it's okay to grieve and take time to process it. You know, it might crop up again where something kind of hits you, you're living life normally, you're like, oh wow, I have this condition, and it changes how you do things. So yeah, it's okay to grieve. And then just to be aware of what's going on in your body, be your best advocate or have someone for you to advocate for you and be prepared, you know, carry your medical history, wear a medical ID bracelet. Mm -hmm. I actually don't, and I need to get one. It's been <laughs> on my to-do list for eight years. Um, <laughs> thankfully, my husband is kind of my walking ID bracelet, but... Um, <laughs> I love that. But, yeah, yeah. And we literally have notebooks from those first months yeah. in the hospital every time someone would walk in the room, he'd write down what medication, what wow. test, everything. And then, um, you know, to live life and be thankful for every day. We don't have to live with a sense of doom. We can live with a sense of awareness and gratitude. You know, we, we don't look sick, right? And we don't always feel sick, but sometimes there's days where weird pain makes me stay in bed or go to the ER. And so, you know, just be grateful. Uh, seek out somebody to talk to if you need counseling or mm -hmm. prayer. Um, and then I, I think, you know, it's, it's made me more empathetic to people because you just don't know what people are carrying. You know, if the pain or the trauma... Um, it's just made me more empathetic to that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm thankful. And, you know, in those days where it does hit me, yeah, I'm going to grieve again and I'm going to be sad or mad that I have to miss out on something or be in bed um, or get another test. But, you know, eight and a half years later, we are living as a family of three. We travel. We ride bikes. We do things, you know, within the parameters of what my health can allow. And just to get regular checkups. Like if you don't have known aneurysms, get a baseline. 
and then um, get regular checkups to, to keep watch on things. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah. And that's thank all really you. great advice. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, thank you for sharing all of these stories. You know, I we met doctors that had never heard of this, and we certainly had never heard of vascular EDS before my diagnosis. So um, just this awareness for people and the healthcare community and our families is so vital. I really yeah. appreciate it. This is something that you know, it start. I joked that I decided one day that I was going to start a podcast, and then two days later, I had a podcast, and that is. <laughs> I mean, that's really how it happened. But I wow. think at the time, I was so in it that you know, it wasn't until there were several episodes out that I really realized the magnitude to which this could help people. So um, right. that is really nice to hear, and I really appreciate it. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. This was Erica sharing her story with VEDS, or vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Episodes come out on this show on the last Sunday of every month. So go ahead and hit subscribe. Um, share this with people who you think might be interested and help us raise awareness for VEDS. And we'll, we will see you soon. <laughs>